0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. I want to welcome you to this final week of our series of messages that we've entitled Since You Believed. And we've through the course of this series, we've been asking the question. And asking a series of questions that lead us back to the foundations, the fundamentals of faith. And we've been exploring those things to be sure that the foundation is laid. That the Lord can do greater things and build to greater levels in our lives, spiritually speaking. How many of you are expectant today that God has greater things in store for you? Now... This has been such an amazing year. We've watched so many of you move forward and we as a church have taken some amazing strides forward towards the fullness of what I believe God wants for this church. I love hearing the testimonies of how the Lord has challenged so many of you through this year and, and how your faith has been strengthened. I love seeing how the Lord has increased our territory as a church. We're now proclaiming the gospel on the university campus. We're proclaiming the gospel on the high school football fields and in the locker room. We're reaching the city's kids and we're touching the lives of its men. Our women are growing and the impact of faith women is being felt far and wide. And I believe that that what God is doing in this church and in the life of this body is catching the attention of people around us. And hopefully it is inciting in them a hunger for a move of the Holy Spirit in their own lives. And you may ask, as many people do, Pastor, to what do you attribute all of these wonderful things? And I can speak for Pastor Lisa and myself. We've talked about this, so I I know I'm on good terms here. But it's not because either of us come to this pulpit every week and say, Wow, we are great preachers. It's not because we wake up morning after morning after morning and feel qualified for the post because honestly, day after day after day, we come and we approach the work of the Lord and we feel grossly underqualified. but we try as best we can as leaders to identify with the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church at Corinth that says this, our message and our preaching is not with wise and persuasive words but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. These these things that we're seeing transpire in the life of our church are not the result of man's wisdoms nor our efforts although We need to be about the Father's business. We have to give the Lord something to bless. God doesn't bless laziness. We've got to be about the Father's business. But they're not by might. They're not by power. But the things that we see happening are by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that undergirds and anoints our efforts and makes them effective in this generation. That's why today I want to ask one final question in this series of messages and it's the same question posed to the Ephesian church by the Apostle Paul and today I'm going to reference here, I'm going to go old school because I'm going back to the King James because it asks the question exactly as we've been posing it now for several weeks. As a matter of fact, this verse is the seed thought that, that spawned this entire series of messages that we've been going through. But Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, we find Paul, uh, we find this recollection here, Luke's writing, and he says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? My question to you this morning is this. Since you've believed, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I referenced the King James this morning not only for the direction of the question but also because the statement here is rendered in a past tense in the Greek. And I believe that it best represents what Paul is asking because some people try to suggest here that, that Paul is simply trying to differentiate between uh, the Ephesians having simply received Jesus on an intellectual level or in their mind but not having opened their heart. If you read Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible, the message, then that's what you'll read is that he was, Paul was just simply trying to differentiate between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge of Jesus, but I don't believe that's the case here at all. I believe when we look in the Greek and we find these past tenses here when he says, since you've believed. In other words, it's already an assumed fact that these people are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's already done. I mean, they have believed, and they are saved. And... Although the Bible is very clear on the Holy Spirit's work in redeeming us, I don't believe that you and I have to understand all of the theology of the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. Paul's not saying to them, oh, no, 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 wait a minute, you haven't understood the work and the the person of the Holy Spirit, therefore you're not saved, so let's do this again. The Word says this, that no man confesses that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And Paul writes to the Romans and says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe when we get up here on Sundays and we baptize people and those little folks from... from Uh, faith kids come in here and they're standing there and they're almost shoulder deep in a horse trough but you can look at them and say do you claim jesus christ as your lord and savior and they say definitely and without hesitation yes i have prayed and i have received i believe that's exactly the way jesus said that his kingdom would be That if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. So the assumption that we begin here with Paul's encounter with these people from Ephesus is this, that they were already saved and he said to them, since you've believed, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I believe what Paul is asking here is based on a well-established pattern experienced by New Testament believers that they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they were saved, and they did have the Holy Spirit residing in them, but they also experienced a second and subsequent work of the Spirit that we know as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Their reply to this question was that they didn't know anything at all about such an experience or that it was available to them. And my reasoning in bringing this word to you today is that I want you to know that there is a power that is available to you today that is the single greatest resource for your spiritual life aside from salvation and the word of the Lord. You need to be Spirit-filled. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm about to share with you, and listen to me real close, because some of you just tuned me out right there. You just said, wait a minute, I didn't know this was that kind of church. What I'm about to share with you has been dismissed by many people as not being for today. Not only has it been dismissed, but it's also been outright taught against in some circles. And maybe you've come to faith assembly from a different church background where the Pentecostal doctrine and such manifestations of the Holy Spirit through demonstrable gifts has been taught against or at least marginalized. And today I want you to hear me as I begin to speak about such things. I know that it might give rise to reservations in your heart. Most people that, you know, if you've ever heard any of those arguments against the move of the Holy Spirit and his outpouring as we see it in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, they're very dogmatic in their approach. Very, just very hardcore. As a matter of fact, I've I've heard some people who argue for Pentecostal doctrine who are very dogmatic in their arguments. But I've got good news for you today. I, I don't come with an argument. I just simply come to you with the Bible. And and we'll let the Holy Spirit do the arguing. Amen? He He can convince. He can convict. He can persuade. You know, some people would say of the Old Testament that it's just a historical document. Well, I want to tell you something. That is a rich text even for us today because in the pages of the Old Testament, we learn about the character of God. We learn of His mercy. We learn of His goodness, of His patience, of His long-suffering towards us. We learn of his His everlasting love for us. And you say, well, pastor, I don't understand how a sacrificial system you know, and all of that legalism and all that stuff, I don't understand how that points to anything that's applicable for me today. I can tell you this, it's because every bull and every goat and every dove and everything that was slain and laid on an altar was a type and a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as he gave himself on Calvary once and for all as the propitiation for our sins. It's applicable. It's real. It's relevant. Maybe you can't make it through the book of Chronicles without falling asleep, but that doesn't mean that it's not applicable for you and I today. Some also will dismiss the book of Acts. And they'll say, well, that's just a historical document of the birth of the church and how the Lord moved in the early days. But I believe if the Lord is willing to preserve Scripture all the way from the Old Testament, from the creation, all the way through, through the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts as something that's exemplary for us, if the Old Testament is relevant for us, so is the book of Acts, and it is there by divine purpose that it would leave us an example. I want to speak to another group of people here today. Those are those of you who maybe were raised in Pentecostal churches. You've heard the doctrine, you've understood it, but you've just seen so much garbage in the name of the Holy Spirit that you don't know what in the world you should do. I mean, you have seen the Holy Spirit do so many things. Or at least so people say. I've got a friend. I watched a little vignette of his the other day. He was actually touching on this topic. His his message wasn't about it, but he said this. He said to his people this. He said, I'm going to tell you the truth. He said, you've got to have a balance in your life between the Word and the Spirit. He said, some of you have got the Spirit, but you don't have any Word. And to be perfectly honest, y'all scare me. Some of you have seen people doing things in the name of the spirit and you can't figure out why in the world you would want to be a partaker of any such thing but I want to tell you today that's not the God I serve that's not the way he operates and just because somebody else is overzealous or ignorant in their response to the moving of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you and I need to be dismissive of what's available for you and I today We need to be ready to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and move out of this place under the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. And you say, well, Pastor, I hear you talking about the Word and everything, but I just, you know, the Word says where... Some people are concerned in Pentecostal doctrine, they only have one verse, and that is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And they can go absolutely nuts, and there's supposed to be no checkpoint in between. But, and and they, they would say to me this morning, wouldn't well, I, Pastor, you need to be careful. You don't need to put God in a box. Well, I'm not trying to put God in a box, but I do believe that He's given us some parameters in His Word by which the Spirit operates, and it'll be decent, and it'll be in order, and it'll change the world around us as we rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying to you today is there's no need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Somebody asked me one time at a church meeting, they said, how do you feel about all this Pentecostal stuff and everything? I said, I'm going to tell you something. Just let the fire burn. Let the fire burn, and if there gets any wildfire spreading, we'll stomp that out. Right? We'll, We'll take care of that, but let the fire burn. That's the main thing. So... You're well acquainted, some of you, with those words of Paul that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here when he said that he told them that certain activities might cause those who didn't know what was going on to think they were all mad. And today I totally understand your hesitation, but I want to invite you into the word of the Lord this morning and, and encourage you to believe the Holy Spirit to do something dynamic in your life. You see, first of all, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is power. With a purpose. It's power with a purpose. And I believe that the Pentecostal distinctive has lost a lot of its influence with many in this generation simply because of some of the things that we've just mentioned. I've got a lot of colleagues, a lot of friends, even the pastor of Pentecostal churches, they're afraid to mention the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid to mention the manifestation of gifts because they're afraid they might offend somebody and it might drive them away from the church. Well, I want to tell you, on the day of Pentecost, Peter rose up in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and preached the gospel, and 3,000 souls were saved that day. Let's line it up, let's get it under the Word, let's get anointed, let's get on fire for God, and let's make a difference in this community. Now I know we've seen some crazy things unfold in the name of the Spirit. The Spirit in many cases has been reduced to simply something that enables us to have some kind of euphoric experience at church or in a worship service. I've seen the Holy Spirit minimalized to, you know, just a... a, preached in many times that, you know, it's just nothing but something the Lord gives me for my personal pleasure. It's been reduced to just me receiving a prayer language or having some warm and fuzzy feeling. But Jesus instructed his disciples this way, and he didn't tell them to wait until they spoke with tongues. He didn't tell them to wait until they got a warm and fuzzy feeling. But he told them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power or clothed with power from on high. Look at this look at this what what he's saying to him is I breathed on you you are saved you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit but I want you to slip on a new covering I want you to be clothed in power you see, some of you quit listening to me when I took this coat off. I pray God releases you from the bondage of tradition. But, but when, I got my, when I got my clothes back on, you began to... And I'm telling you, church, when we get our clothes on, the world's going to listen. So... I I don't know about you But as I'm walking this pathway called faith I need every bit of strength I can get I need the power to overcome temptation I need the power to stand on the side of righteousness I need the power to overcome the adversity that I face And stand victorious in this life I need the power to fulfill Christ's commission on my life To make disciples of all men more specifically, that's what this power is. You can quote it with me because I know you know it by now because I've quoted it for the last 17 services. And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Stanley Horton's offers this quote here, and he says, Search the Scriptures, and I believe that you will agree that the primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not to make us holy, it's not even to make us happy, but rather it's to give us power for service. It is a means by which the Holy Spirit begins to equip us and fit us to be useful servants who can carry on the work of Christ in and through the church in this age. Church, I want to tell you something this morning. If you haven't noticed, it's election season. I know that's lost on some of you. And I know you hear me sometimes and I talk about, you know, that that's not the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing. And yes, I know we need to be salt and we need to be light. And when the polls open, I believe Christians ought to be there to vote their conscience. I believe they ought to be there to vote in alignment with their morals. More importantly, in line with Scripture as best they can. But can I tell you, if we want righteousness restored to this nation, it's not going to come through a polling booth. It's not going to come through legislation. As a matter of fact, the problem is they've done away with the ten laws we did have and replaced them with thousands more that we didn't need if we'd just done the first ten to start with. But righteousness is going to be restored to this nation when the church of the living God aligns themselves under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and they go out into this world ablaze with the Spirit of God proclaiming, thus says the Lord, and Jesus saves to a lost and dying world. That's when things are going to turn around. That's when things are going to get changed. And until that moment, it doesn't matter what we do, we're just putting a Band-Aid on the wound. But we're not healing. But when the church is willing to wait as long for a move of the Holy Spirit as they are to catch a glimpse of a celebrity... Let me get back over here. And just tend to my business. To be sure that you understand exactly what we're talking about here, I want you to see the fulfillment of this promise of which the prophets spoke and Jesus confirmed. Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. As I said earlier, I believe Paul's inquiry to the Ephesians was rooted in a well-established pattern of experience of the New Testament believers. It started in Acts chapter 2, and we read the following. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one place with one accord. And there came a sound from heaven like as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in that power. They were clothed like Jesus told them to go and wait until they were. It came upon them like a mighty Russian wind. It settled in among them. And it says, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just a handful of pages over in chapter 8. We see Philip had gone to Samaria, and he preached there the gospel, and there was an awakening among the Samaritans. And verse 12 says this, But when they believed Pete, Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And we've already covered another well-established pattern, and that is in the New Testament, and that is that belief precedes Baptism. It's not a means of salvation, but it's a testimony of salvation. These folks were saved... And then we jump down to verse 14 and it says this Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, here's another account of an experience subsequent to or after salvation where someone is said to have received the Holy Spirit. Well, how do they know that these people received the Holy Spirit? Verse 18 continues with this. I'm going to tell you, there was something that attended this experience that made it obvious, that made it plain. Because among those that had been hearing Philip preach, there was also a sorcerer by the name of Simon. And Simon saw what was going on. He said, hey, that's a cool trick. You know, you can lay your hands on these people and this thing happens to them. I want to see. It says, and when Simon saw, he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. There was obviously something tangible that they had received. That, that indicated that they had received the Holy Spirit that evidenced itself to Simon, who at this point had been a sorcerer that had given an indication that something had happened in these people's lives. They weren't asking, did it happen? Could it happen? Should it have happened? No, it happened. How many of you, how many of you are willing to put money down on a think-so? No. No. In fact, it was such a marked occurrence that Simon offered to pay the apostles for the ability to lay hands on someone and have them respond this way. Acts chapter 10, we continue here. Peter's given a vision and he's shown that he should preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's obedient to that direction of the Holy Spirit. And then we jump in at verse 44, and it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, or the Gentiles, who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? who have received the Holy Spirit just like we have. All the way back, Acts chapter 2, that same experience replicated here. Peter says so. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of different places in the Scripture where Peter is going to contend for a continued ministry to the Gentiles, and his argument is, look, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did on us. And in Acts chapter 19, we've come around here full circle. It continues to give the result of Paul's inquiry and it also shows us a continuation of this same pattern. We pick it back up in verse 3, Paul had said to them, since you believed, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They said, no, we didn't know there was such a thing. And it says this, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them the holy spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied now there are examples that lead us to believe and teach us that the initial physical evidences of baptism in the holy spirit is speaking with other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance It happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened with the Samaritans. It happened with the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. It happened with the Ephesians as Paul preached to them. But the point of this message today is not about speaking in tongues. It's a message about you and I walking in the fullness of what's available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about you and I saying, God, I can't nor will I be satisfied until I have everything that you have promised to me, everything that you have in store for me. God, I want it, I need it, I can't do this on my own. I'm not until we get past the point that we can say I've been to church for the last 45 years. I've heard every argument over the color of the carpet. I'm well acquainted with every nuance and every tradition surrounding church life. And I think we've pretty well got, I know how to do church. Yeah, we we know how to do church. Church. And there are millions of dead edifices scattering the landscape of this nation of people who know how to do church. They are dying and they are emptying and they are closing their doors on a weekly basis. I'm not asking you today if you know how to do church. I'm asking you today if you know how to be the church. And I'm telling you we cannot adequately be the church until we are empowered by the Holy Spirit until we have been clothed in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit we can't effectively be the church in this generation God help us God help us would you stand because I've got good news for you. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell him the promise is for me. The promise is for me. How many of you want your promise? of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit began to be poured out in a new way, there were many who speculated what might be causing all of this. We'll call it a disturbance. Some concluded that those who were speaking in tongues were drunk. Others just marveled. But Peter came to the forefront to clarify what was happening says this, but Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let it be known to you I love that and heed my words for these men are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day but this all oh, this this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel who said And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. And I believe we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Jumping down several verses later, verse 39, Peter gives them this word. And he says, For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all. Everybody say all who are afar off and as many as the Lord our God will call. And I know some people who say that Paul wrote to the church and he said we know in part and we do prophesy in part but when that which is perfect has come the things that are in part will be done away with. they say that since the canonization of scripture that there's no need for the move of the Holy Spirit in the way that it had moved previously but I want you to know that I've read that book from front to back and all points in between and I still don't understand everything I still know in part and I still prophesy in part Therefore, I still need the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I believe you do too. Listen. In all other things, we say this. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why then would we believe that this same perpetual being that is always the same never changing would stop being the baptizer of his people in the power of the holy spirit i don't believe he ever stopped doing that we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today if you would like more information about faith assembly please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org thanks again for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day